0: Good afternoon, so good to see many of you today. If you have your Bibles, please get ready to turn to John chapter 19, John chapter 19. On September 19th, 2022, the state funeral of Queen Elizabeth II was held in honor of the longest reigning monarch of the United Kingdom and other commonwealth realms who had reigned for 70 years. The Queen's funeral was one of the rarest of all public events in recent Western history. It was the first state funeral to take place in 57 years in the UK since Winston Churchill's ceremony in 1965. 2,000 of the Queen's guests, including other kings and queens and presidents, prime ministers, celebrities, and friends from across the globe, came to pay tribute to England's late queen. Some 4,000 military personnel were hired to parade on the streets of London and Windsor. Security alone cost more than $7.5 million. And although not confirmed, reports estimate the funeral will cost the UK's economy over $2.6 billion. Tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, lined the streets and inside Westminster Abbey where the funeral was held. And billions are estimated to have tuned into the funeral service from all around the world, possibly making it the most viewed live broadcast in history, and the grandest funeral in British memory. After her funeral, the Queen's coffin was transferred to Windsor Castle and buried at St. George's Chapel as part of a long history of burials at the site, including 10 former sovereigns. One reporter writes of the place built by kings shaped by the history of the royal family and still the location for both splendid royal events and private family moments. It was indeed a burial fit for a queen. In our passage this afternoon, in just five short verses, the burial of Jesus is described. Although it lacked the earthly pomp and the billion-dollar budget of the queen's ceremony, the significance of Jesus' burial is unrivaled. J.C. Ryle says of these verses, they describe the most important funeral that ever took place in this world. As such, how was the burial of our Lord Jesus Christ fit for an eternal king? How was the burial of our Lord Jesus Christ fit for an eternal king? We're continuing our study through the Gospel of John. Last two weeks, we looked at John chapter 19, verses 17 through 42, and what exactly Jesus' crucifixion accomplished. Those were some difficult passages for us to reflect on, the tortuous trials, the cruel crucifixion of Jesus, who was entirely innocent of all charges. Yet the details of the hour for which Jesus was born to earth for are so very important to us as Christians, aren't they? Uh, It's important that we are confronted with it that we carefully consider it, and for us to understand rightly the significance of perhaps the most important aspects of Jesus' earthly ministry. What is death on the cross accomplished for us, and the reason why we are gathered here today as his church. Well, today's passage is the conclusion of that section, the burial of Jesus. But what may seem to us initially somewhat of a mundane, unimportant, and not a particularly interesting passage they thought Jesus is dead. There's nothing more to be done. But actually, what we see in this simple five verses is God at work in amazing ways. These verses are actually full of theological significance and practical application for Christians today, for you and me. Our passage teaches us even in death, God speaks. Even in death, God works. Even in death, God is sovereign. Even in seeming defeat, God's purpose prevails. Amen? So from our short passage, John chapter 19, verses 38 through 42, I want to share with you how God works even amidst the most depressing circumstances of life. Here's the outline so you know where we're headed, how God was working through Jesus' death. Point number one, an unexpected prophecy from verse 38. An unexpected prophecy, verse 38. Point number two, An untimely Pharisee from verses 39 and 40. An untimely Pharisee. And point number three, an unforgotten provision from verses 41 and 42. Brothers and sisters, I pray this message will encourage you afresh that God is always at work, even in the most difficult circumstances of our lives. Even in dire dark days of disappointment, and discouragement. Romans eight twenty eight says, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So dear Christian, whatever trials you are going through today, God has a word for you. He is working for you. For your sufferings here on earth are not for nothing. They have a purpose for his glory, for your holiness, for the building up of his church. So be blessed and encouraged today. Amen. Friends and visitors, if you are joining us here today as a guest, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today for our worship service. Especially if you are here and you do not consider yourself a Christian, you are especially welcome today. Perhaps you are visiting us for Thanksgiving weekend or coming through town for various reasons. We just want you to know we've been praying for you, that you would gather with us this afternoon. We know that you are here not by accident, but by divine appointment. So we pray that the words you hear today will confront you with the difficult truth the difficult reality that we all face and must face, that we will all die someday. But I don't mean that in a discouraging, depressing way whatsoever. I mean to give you hope by telling you God's truth regarding it. So let me ask you, do you have hope in this life if you are not a Christian? And do you have hope in the face of impending death? Do you have assurance of eternity after death? Because scripture teaches us very clearly, Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, and the only way to God, to heaven and eternal life. And so I'm asking you, I'm challenging you, I'm confronting you, if you have truly considered what that means for you. Well, we pray today's message will point you to Jesus, how through his death, we have been granted forgiveness of sins and new life and eternal life in him. No other religion in the world offers such undeserved gift. Every other religion in the world is about man's efforts to reach perfection. Jesus came to offer himself as a sacrifice for you and me by dying on the cross. We pray that you will hear his words today and consider and respond. Amen? So without further ado, let's turn now to God's words found on page 906 of the blue Bibles around you. If you are new to the Bible, the big numbers are the chapter numbers, the small numbers are the verse numbers. So John chapter 19, verses 38 through 42. And as you listen, I want to encourage you to please keep your Bibles open for the entire duration of the message and follow along as you hear God's word for you. John chapter 19, verses 38 through 42 says this. After these things, Joseph of Arithmethea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for the fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. They laid Jesus there. How was God working through Jesus' burial? Point number one, an unexpected prophecy from verse 38. Look with me to that verse again, verse 38. It says this, After these things, Joseph of Arithmethea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for the fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body the first observation we can make from this verse is who in the world is joseph of arimathea we are introduced to him for the first time a bit abruptly in the description of Jesus' burial and his name is recorded in all four of the gospel accounts matthew mark luke and john each of them names joseph as the primary agent who was responsible for what occurred And each gospel writer records something unique about this Joseph. So Matthew, for example, Matthew alone says that Joseph was a rich man. Mark alone says he was a respected member of the council who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God. Luke alone says that he was a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action, who was also looking for the kingdom of God. And John alone says that he was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews. So here in these verses alone is Joseph ever mentioned before or after the Bible is entirely silent about him. Well from context clues and what we can piece together from the other gospel accounts we know that Joseph was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was among the council of the Jewish religious and political leadership composed of the Pharisees and the Sadducees who was responsible for arresting and accusing and crucifying Jesus. Yet, Luke tells us he was one who had not consented in their decision and action and that he was a good and righteous man looking for the kingdom of God and that, according to John, he was a secret disciple of Jesus. Now, before you get too lofty of an image of some secret undercover agent who comes to timely aid Jesus, remember what John 12:42 said of such men among the fold. John twelve forty two had said, Nevertheless, many even of the authorities, referring to those in the Jewish leadership, believed in him, Jesus, but for the fear of the Pharisees they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. And then the most telling description of who actually was Joseph, John twelve, verse forty three, says, For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Moreover, Mark's account tells us that Joseph took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus, which confirms that it was Joseph's fear and not for any sort of deliberate or clandestine reason why Joseph remained silent and unknown until this moment. So, then who and why Joseph What was his purpose? Why now? Why such attention drawn to him by all four gospel writers at this very juncture? Even as we sing the hymn last Sunday, oh, praise the name, we sang the lyrics, didn't we? His body bound and drenched in tears, they laid him down in Joseph's tomb, the entrance sealed by heavy stone, Messiah still and all alone. Who is this Joseph that we sing about? Who is this Joseph. The most clear evidence shown to us from scripture is an unexpected prophecy. A word of God regarding the suffering Messiah recorded in Isaiah 53. Turn with me there briefly. It's found on page 614 of the Blue Bibles. 614. Isaiah 53. Okay. Um. Many of us know well the famous portion in it, don't we? From verses 4 through 7, which says this, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his words we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away and asked for his generation. Who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? Okay, so we know those verses well. But then look at verse 9. This verse is not often quoted. But it is so very important, and we get to find out why today in our passage. Isaiah 53, verse 9 says, And they made his grave with the wicked, and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. The translation of the verse is a bit difficult to understand and perhaps should be read. His grave was appointed with the wicked, but with the rich man was his tomb. So, In the event of our passage, this very prophecy, written some 700 years before Jesus was born, written, recorded by Isaiah, is finally fulfilled through Joseph, a man of ambiguity, a man whom God would raise up for such a time as this. Although he was a fearful man, he was a rich man, a man whom God's purposes would be revealed. The important lesson and reminder for us is this. The focus is not Joseph. The focus is God. Even in Jesus' death and burial, a bit short and temporary, God is at work. Amen? Brothers and sisters, pay attention to this. God continues to work through sinful men and broken circumstances to accomplish his will. Jesus was dead. The disciples had scattered, the day was dark, hope seemed lost, the enemies of God thought they won, but little did they know that God was up to something incredible, hallelujah, something entirely new under the sun, that Jesus would not remain dead for long, which is the topic of next week's sermon. But nevertheless, don't miss this, brothers and sisters. That as long as God is God and that we are His people, as long as it is still called today, we have hope in Christ. We have hope in Christ. That in Him, the seeming tragedies and defeats of painful sufferings of this life, even death is not the end. Even death is not the end. That in Christ there is a new day coming. That suffering and sorrow has an expiration date. That his mercies are new every morning. Amen? Normally, the bodies of those who are condemned to crucifixion would be left to rot on the cross as food for vultures. It was a sign of their cursed fate. That no family members of Jesus nor any other disciples came to ask for the body of Jesus was because such a request would be outright rejected. They knew that they would be rejected, that such requests are not even fathomed or imagined because crucified people wrought on the cross. That was their cursed fate. And also, we have heard and we have read that they themselves might be endangered by the authorities if they associated themselves with Jesus, which was one of the reasons why the disciples scattered in the first place anyways, for the fear of being associated with Jesus, the condemned criminal, according to the Jewish leaders. Well, Joseph, being a member of the Sanhedrin, would have the money and the authority and the influence to approach Pilate with such a request to take Jesus's body away. And Pilate, still convinced of Jesus's innocence, perhaps feeling guilty, granting the innocent man, Jesus, such a cruel and undeserved punishment grants Joseph permission. How amazing is it, brothers and sisters? That even just few moments after Jesus' death, we know so because in the short span between Jesus' passing around 3 p.m. to sundown around 6 PM, Jesus' words would begin to be fulfilled just as he predicted in John chapter 12, verse 32. As for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Joseph who out of the fear of man rather than the fear of God had remained silent and quiet and secret, who had chosen man's glory over God's glory, who stayed a secret disciple, is drawn by Christ's death and granted by God decisive courage to act and risk his own reputation for Jesus in order for God's purposes to be fulfilled. Now, we don't know if we can say Joseph was truly converted But John tells us he was a disciple of Jesus. But perhaps Joseph had heard the teaching of Jesus. If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And although he had remained secret and silent for all the wrong reasons up to this point, being a man of wealth and power, Joseph worked up the courage to request for Jesus' dead body to be taken for burial, fulfilling Isaiah 53, 9's prophecy to God's praise and for the great sign which was ahead. Profitable lessons can be drawn from the example of the life of Joseph. Don't waste what God has given you. Don't waste what God has given each of you. Whether that's wealth or intellect or youth or time or various gifts God has granted you, don't for the fear of man or for the praise of man neglect the opportunity to serve God and serve his people. Dr. James Montgomery Boyce once challenged his listeners this way, Are you one who is like this Joseph? If so, I hope to disturb you by showing how close you are to those millions who adhere to Christianity but have no saving faith At all. Christianity that is hidden and secret is no Christianity at all. Well, you may think, wasn't it God's intention that kept Joseph in secrecy until the right time? Sure. Maybe for Joseph. Maybe for Joseph. But he didn't have the complete revelation as you and I do now. Jesus said to his disciples in John 7, 6, My time is not yet here previous to Jesus' death and resurrection, but your time is always opportune your time is always opportune just think about what joseph missed in being a secret disciple intimate fellowship with the living jesus intimate fellowship with his disciples in the scriptures joseph was literally a one-hit wonder more so a one-hit mystery was he a true follower of jesus or not people have questions Right? Was he acting in faith or out of guilt? We don't know. But you and I, brothers and sisters, have our entire lives to serve Jesus and his people. Amen? Dear brother or sister, what is your excuse? What is your excuse for not serving Jesus and his people fully? What is your fear? What is holding you back from remaining a secret follower of Jesus rather than a courageous follower of him? Is it your career? Is it your reputation? Is it your girlfriend or boyfriend? Is it your spouse? Is it money? Is it your family? What is hindering you from going all in on Christ? How might the gifts and the very circumstance in which the Lord has placed you in be the exact place where God wants you to go all in for him? Jesus says in John 16, 33, In this world you will have trouble. You will have trouble. You will have trouble. But take heart. Take courage. I have overcome the world. Take courage. I have overcome the world. Take courage. Take courage. I have overcome the world. Did you know that the phrase fear not is in the Bible 365 times? God is emphasizing for you and me. Fear not man. Fear not man. Fear not your circumstances. But trust him. And follow him entirely, fully, wholeheartedly, even in your fears, even in your distresses, even in your depression, even in your doubts, even in your suffering and affliction, even in your sorrows and sadnesses. God is at work. God is in control. God's word is true. Is it interesting to you that there is no accident with God? No mere coincidence? God wants us to know He is the beginning and the end. That he has a purpose for all things. That he has a purpose for everything. That in Christ, he is sovereignly in control from start to finish. From our birth to our death. Just as poor Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, welcomed Jesus at birth in a manger. A rich Joseph, a fearful disciple, buries Jesus at his death in his tomb. A little addition, a bookend, a bonus, if you will... Jesus' earthly life and ministry to show us and remind us until heaven and earth passes away not a single jot not a stroke of pen not the smallest of detail will disappear from the law until everything until every word of scripture is accomplished amen how was God working through Jesus' death point number two an untimely pharisee verses 39 through 40 Look at verses 39 through 40 again. It says this. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen clothes with spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. We have read of Nicodemus two other times in John's gospel, in John chapter 3 and in John chapter 7. He was also the man who was a Pharisee who had come to meet Jesus at night in secrecy and curiosity. Nicodemus is one who had the famous conversation with Jesus about conversion, about being born again in order to enter the kingdom of God. In John 7, perhaps a lesser well-known passage, John chapter 7, verse 50 through 52, Nicodemus attempted, tried to stand up for Jesus when his fellow Pharisees attempted to suppress the people's amazement at Jesus' teaching. The crowd had said, no one ever spoke like Jesus. But the Pharisees told the crowd, they too were accursed. To which Nicodemus tries to defend Jesus and them, and says, our law doesn't judge a man before it hears from him and knows what he's doing, does it? To which he is quickly silenced by the Pharisees. You aren't from Galilee too, are you? And then we don't hear of Nicodemus again until in this passage of today. But here, also like Joseph, we see Nicodemus mustering up courage. Make no mistake about it. For the third time, Nicodemus is described in John, a title equivalent with his name, the one who came to Jesus by night. For the third time, Nicodemus is described in such a fashion. He was also one who was characterized by fear. He also was one who loved man's glory more than God's glory. But here we see a beautiful transformation, finally, of his courage, of his faith put in practice, of Jesus drawing fearful and weak men to himself. The important picture here, again, is not Nicodemus. It's not this untimely Pharisee. It's God at work. A fearful Pharisee is turned into a daring disciple. Nicodemus, who earlier had come by night, bears his own burdens to Jesus by day, by light. It says he came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. Two important points are emphasized through Nicodemus's action. First, that he brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes is not unusual. The last phrase, verse 40, tells us, as is the burial custom of the Jews. So to prevent the dead bodies to stink And rot so fast and eaten up by vermins, the body would be bound in linen clothes with spices. What should stand out, however, again, is not what was brought, but the amount. Do you remember in John chapter 12 again, when Mary anoints Jesus with a pound of expensive ointment, a pound of expensive ointment, and Judas, the betrayer, had complained, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And it says he said that not because he actually cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And we were told 300 denarii was an entire year's wage for the common worker in their day. But remember how Jesus responded to Judas? Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. What did that verse mean? One commentator helpfully writes, This extraordinary anointing, which was a sign, is allowed by God so that they may witness that he will not be worshipped with outward pomp or costly service, but with alms or acts of sacrificial service. And certainly so in the fulfillment of Jesus' prediction of his own burial in John chapter 12. Here in John chapter 19, Nicodemus' courageous alms, his coming out as finally a fearless follower of Jesus with 75 pounds of spices was his way of declaring Jesus was indeed the true eternal king. For such an amount of spices was equivalent with what was used in the burial of kings. So if I do not emphasize it clearly enough, even in Jesus' death, here is a picture, here is a sign. Jesus is indeed truly king. His burial was indeed fit for a king. But there's even more to it than that, brothers and sisters. Here is another fulfillment of Scripture from Psalm 16, verse 10, which says, which is also quoted in Acts 2 and 13 and 26 by the apostles, post-Jesus' resurrection, speaking of him, Psalm 16:10 says, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. And I love the New Living Translation of this verse, which I don't commend often, but captures the full meaning of this original language. For you will not leave my soul among the dead, or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. From birth, Jesus came into the world and welcomed as king by the wise men. Through his ministry, Jesus was greeted by his people as the promised king, Hosanna in the highest, blessed be the name of the Lord. In his final hour, he was accused and lifted up as the king of the Jews, and in his death, he was buried fitly as the prophesied Messiah king. And today, brothers and sisters, he reigns as the sovereign king. And on that final day, he will return to us and will be worshipped for all eternity as the king of kings when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord and worship him for who he truly is. One commentators commentator summarizes this section very well in this way. Twice was Jesus Christ rich in the day of his poverty. Once immediately after his birth, when the wise men from the East offered him gold and frankincense and myrrh, and now after his ignominious death, when a rich man buries him and a distinguished man provides spices to anoint him, a rich man Joseph has taken the place of that poor Joseph who stood by the manger, close quote. Brothers and sisters, it's no coincidence That the theme of Jesus the King keeps coming up in these passages. It's a reality that God sees fit. We today are confronted with. Who is your King? Who is your King? Isn't Jesus your King? Isn't Jesus your Messiah King? Isn't Jesus your Creator King, your Crucified King, your Substitute King, your Sufficient King, Risen King? Love you to the end, King, Lord of Lords, and King of Kings. You did notice that while the burial of Jesus was missing all the earthly pomp, those who knew Him, those who knew Him, believed in Him. And they will see Him. Brothers and sisters, this is the hope and promise of 1 Peter 1.8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. So dear brothers and sisters in Christ, what in your life is not worth offering to him as sacrificial service to Jesus the King? What in your life is not worth giving up everything for? What in your life is not worth trusting him in? What in your life is not worth surrendering all, surrendering everything to him? What in your life is not worth casting on him all your fears and all your anxieties, all your sufferings and all your sorrows? What can he not handle? What can he not carry? What can he not provide? Although we are nothing, although you and I deserve nothing, Second Timothy 2.12 promises, if we endure, we will also reign with him. Can you believe that, brothers and sisters? His kingdom is ours when you believe and endure in him. So my question for you, will you like Joseph and will you like Nicodemus in all your fears, in all your shortcomings and failings, in all your lack and in your slowness, still yet come to him, still yet surrender all to him? Brothers and sisters, like Joseph and like Nicodemus, this passage is teaching us it is not too late. His death provided a way for you and me, which leads us to our final point. How was God working through Jesus' death? Final point, an unforgotten provision from the final two verses, 41 and 42. Look with me to those verses again. It says this. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. There is no evading what is so clear, what is so obviously emphasized in these verses. The word garden is repeated twice in this passage regarding his burial, and it will be mentioned again in the next chapter, in John chapter 20, verse 15, when the risen Jesus is mistaken by the women as a gardener. The author and the eyewitness of this gospel, John, is intending for us to see him for who he is, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. John is intending for us to believe in him that we may have life in him, which is the purpose of this entire gospel as specifically written in John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31. Jesus is the snake crusher prophesied in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. Jesus is the Lord who will surely comfort Zion and will look with compassion on all her ruins, who will make her deserts like Eden, her wastelands like the garden of the Lord, where joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the sound of singing as according to Isaiah 51.3. Jesus is the one who will restore the garden of Eden in Revelation 22. He is the one who will bring forth new life from death. That's what verse 41 means when it says, Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. In the place of death, in the place of skull, in the place of Golgotha, there was a garden. And in that garden was life. We'll get there next week more. But on this, what we are shown through Jesus' burial is not defeat, it's not tragedy. Suffering has passed. Sin and Satan is conquered. The law and the promises and the prophecies of God fulfilled. It is finished, Jesus declared. Now remains new life and hope and glory in the resurrected Christ. Amen? One commentator writes, What the first Adam lost in his garden, the second Adam, Jesus, now recovers in his garden. Hence, 1 Corinthians 15.45 writes, so it is written that the first man, Adam, became a living being, but the last Adam, Jesus Christ, a life-giving spirit. John four says, in him was life. John 6.48 says, I am the bread of life. John 6.33 says, the bread of God, which comes down from heaven, gives life to the world. John 6.51 says, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. John 14.6 says it so explicitly i am the life may it be clear in the place where jesus was crucified was a garden in which life was restored for all for you and me the details are important in seeming tragedy god had prepared a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid As to not be mistaken at all, who will be raised up on the following Sunday? There was only Jesus in the tomb, and the tomb was empty three days later. Jesus rose again from the grave. Brothers and sisters, friends and visitors, as such, no detail in this life is a mere accident or coincidence. All has been sovereignly ordained by God for us to know him. For us to see ourselves as we are sinners in need of a savior, desperately in need of grace. And for us to see our need of him, Jesus Christ, our only savior and loving savior. Brothers and sisters, this is the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the best news you will ever hear that a holy God created the universe for us to know his infinite glory, his eternal glory although we rebelled against him by distrusting his word and daily disobeying his laws, although we chose to be our own gods every single day by rejecting him, although we are helpless to save ourselves from our own depravity and merit ourselves any righteousness to attain heaven on our own, God had a plan from the very beginning to redeem a people for himself to know his amazing infinite love. And that plan was to send Jesus, his only son, who would live the sinless life perfectly obedient to the Father, who would die as a substitute sacrifice on our behalf, who would satisfy the wrath of God reserved for us. Jesus died and rose again, that we might have forgiveness of sins, that we might obtain the righteousness in him, that we might have new life here on earth and eternal life forevermore with him and all who love and fear his name. So, friends and visitors, if you are here and you are not a Christian, if you know yourself to not be a Christian or not sure that you are one, again, God is speaking to you through this word. Perhaps you have been confronted with the worries and troubles of this life. Perhaps you have struggled with death and the fear that death brings. Well, in him, in the place where he was crucified, where Jesus was buried, there is new life. Jesus invites you today, right now, this moment, to repent That means to turn from your sins, to believe that Jesus died and rose again for you and to trust him with your whole life, with all your anxieties and burdens today and tomorrow and forevermore. I guarantee you, and these brothers and sisters sitting next to you, guarantee that you will find lasting certain hope in him. Friend, will you consider these words carefully if you are not a Christian? Will you not leave this place as someone who secretly believes in Jesus yet never lives out true faith? Please, please, please talk to any of us, talk to any of the pastors who will be standing at the doors at the close of service, or talk to the person that invited you here today. Ask them about how you can follow Jesus more courageously, more boldly, more openly for his glory. Dear beloved NCBC family, in this Thanksgiving week, I was reminded again how thankful I am for God's provision for you and me through this local church. Not to tell a familiar story again in a long way, But many of you know, around 2015, I was completely lost as to how the Lord would lead our family and answer our prayers for an opportunity to pastor a church. It was a difficult season of transition, which escalated to a lot of hardship with family who were disappointed in my decision to continue in ministry. At the time, our family, Jerry and just Katie at the time, were struggling financially. We had no insurance, and we had found out that Jerry had miscarried a baby. And hardship upon hardship seemed to pile on with no light insight. Well, the climax of those hard months was when the deceased baby inside Jerry's womb had progressed enough and Jerry needed surgery for that baby to be removed. When the doctors asked Jerry and I how they should take care of the remains of the tiny baby, we were obviously devastated. We were near hopelessness. We had lots of doubts and regrets, but we decided by God's grace and help to continue to look to Christ, although literally we saw no hope in sight. To trust God for whatever future might bring. We said to each other that night, let's bury whatever past, hurt, regret with this baby, and let's look to him and trust in him. Well, again, I don't want to belabor this story because it's the only story I ever tell you guys at our dinner table. But that very week, the Lord provided for us in amazing ways, with an amazing provision to allow us to move to Hyattsville, to buy a house there, to continue to attend Capitol Baptist Church, to grow as a pastor and to be able to wait for the right time to be able to plant New Covenant Baptist Church five years later in the year 2020. I have so many more things to say to share with you of how God proved himself over and over and over again to do far more abundantly than what I ask or imagined. In the middle of that waiting season, many of you know that my father passed from cancer in 2019. It was one of the most difficult seasons of my life because my father was not a Christian and I had a terrible relationship with my father because I became a pastor. Nevertheless, we are here. And I have a word of encouragement and a reminder to you. Even in the face of death, God is at work. God is sovereign. And I want to challenge you, encourage you. Some of you need to bury some stuff in Jesus' tomb today. Your addictions, your regrets, your struggles and sins, your anxieties... Your depression, your past, they need to be buried. Behold, the old things have gone. The new things have come. Jesus is alive. Jesus is at work. Jesus is true. Jesus is sovereign. So come forth, brother and sister, in faith, in courage. Come forth by his grace, like Joseph and Nicodemus. Let this be the day you look forward to what God has in store for you, even though you cannot see what is going on. God is good. God is sovereign. God is in control. God is merciful. God is loving. God is true. God is alive in Christ. You and I have hope today. And in Christ, we have a glorious future. Hallelujah. Trust in him. Look to him with me today and tomorrow and the next day. Let's encourage one another. Uphold our covenant with one another. And display and testify of his many graces through New Covenant Baptist Church. Romans 8:28 says this again. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good for those who are called according to his purpose. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reminder that even when it seems like everything around us is hopeless and everything around us seems like defeat and discouragement even when death comes knocking at our door. Father, in Christ there is hope. In Christ there is life. In Christ there is redemption and a glorious future ahead. Father, help the brothers and sisters of this congregation look to him and him alone who is our hope in life and death. Father, may those who are secretly struggling come forth out into the light with courage by grace and live and serve you with all that they have, and experience the wonderful blessings and the benefits of living for you. Help us to pick up our crosses daily by denying ourselves and looking to you and taking step by step to honor you. We love you. We thank you for this word. In Jesus' name, amen.